you would, open your Bibles to Peter's second letter. As we continue our study there, 2 Peter will be in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. However, I will read starting in verse 3. So 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll begin our reading in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time recall these things. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for these magnificent words. Words full of hope. Words full of warning. Words full of exhortation. But altogether wonderful words of life. You send out Your Word to heal us. And we are the beneficiaries of Your magnificent grace at work even now as we hear and see Your Word on display. Give us understanding that we would know Your will. How You desire us to live. How You desire us to think and be towards one another. If You would, where You are in Your heart and mind, pray for this time, that we would be sincere in our devotion to the Lord, and that we would be yielding to what the Spirit says. And if you would also pray for me, that I'd be able to speak in a way that would be honorable to the Lord and to the text. Father, we love You, and we know that You love us more than we think You do. And so we ask that You would do with this time as You will, for Your glory and the fame of Your Son, Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, Peter says. What is the... Uh, What what is Peter pointing back to with this therefore? I think we could say he's pointing back to everything he said thus far in the letter. But mainly I think what he's referring to is this idea of entrance 
into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about this this grand hope, this beautiful truth of this assurance that we can have, knowing that entry into Christ's eternal kingdom is provided for us. Christ is our King, and He tells us how to live. His kingdom is more real than any of the nations or kingdoms of the earth. And you, if you are in Christ, belong to Him. He is your Lord. So, in view of that reality and hope of entering into this eternal kingdom, Peter makes it his mission to remind believers of these qualities. So, consider this. They're already saved. They're bound for heaven. At least in Peter's estimation, The outcome, as far as Peter can see, and as well as anyone other than the Lord can know, is not in question at all. Yet, Peter is writing to them, and maybe to a broader audience, and the Spirit inspired him to write this, knowing that this would be something for Christians everywhere. Think of that. From the time Peter penned this, the Spirit's intention was that these reminders and this passionate appeal for reminding believers of these qualities was meant for the church for all time until the Lord Jesus returns. And so this is for us. This is an amazing thing. So the question that I have is then, why? Why do people who are in Christ, headed for heaven, why do they need to be reminded of these qualities of virtue, Knowledge, self-control, godliness, steadfastness, brotherly affection, and love. Because, a few reasons I'll give you, just wagering a guess, because I know myself and I know something about the Bible. Number one, we forget. We need to be reminded of these qualities because we forget. One of my favorite teachers when I was a, a teenager would say that the operative word of faith is remember. Remember God's promises. Remember His faithfulness. Remember the things attributed to Him. And if we remember, we don't go off, but if you know anything about the history of God's people, especially in the Old Testament and the New and church history, what often happens? We forget. We forget things. This is also not just something about the history of God's people. It's very personal. You can find yourself in seasons of life where there are whole lists of qualities or maybe fruits of the Spirit that we just walk in functional forgetfulness of. Anyone ever forget to be patient? As a parent, or before you're a parent, you think you have different virtues and qualities and fruits of the Spirit at work in your life, and then you have kids, and you realize, or, or you get married, right? Just back it up even further, and you realize, well, I don't have it all figured out the way I thought I did. So we forget. Not only do we forget, number two, we forget often. He says the word always. Therefore, I intend always to remind you. They need to be reminded not once, but always. Because not only do we forget, We forget often. And sometimes, isn't it just the same stuff every day? And it it seems that the Lord is willing to allow certain weaknesses to persist in our life um, to show us how much we need Him. And that the things we thought would be easy to get over, we we just keep forgetting Number three, we can grow lackadaisical. There's a big word for you. Lackadaisical or lax, as is it is shortened, towards these qualities. So maybe you've got one or two or three or six of these seven qualities down pat. Um, but we can grow lackadaisical towards the ones that maybe we're not so good at. Maybe you're just knocking it out of the park with knowledge, like a certain former seminary student I know got knowledge, 
I'm speaking of myself. I hope you get like y'all caught that, right? Um, so maybe you got knowledge, but what about brotherly affection? What about virtue? So we can become lax. We we can we can be overly confident. We can rest on our laurels of accomplishments or advances and growing in different disciplines, but the Lord wants a holistic fruit from us, does He not? Number four, we can become imbalanced. We can emphasize one at the expense of the other, where it becomes so distorted that that to have too much of one actually detracts from another quality. And then number five, this is the reason we need to be reminded often. This is an encouraging one, a more positive note. We can bear more fruit. It is possible. This is why Peter is not beating a dead horse or trying to extract from these people something that they just simply cannot give. He is confident that in his work of reminding them that they will actually be able to walk in more faithfulness and produce more fruit and add and actually add these qualities to their faith. It is possible because God has put His Holy Spirit within us so that we would bear fruit for God. And isn't that interesting that it's not just the Holy Spirit in us causing these things to come out. Peter's role in the providence of God is to remind them so that they would bear fruit. So the fruit of the Spirit is, is, as we're going to see in a bit, stirred up within us through the ministry of other people. So a few applications or uses of this. In this we see the care of the Lord Jesus for us. How do we see that? Well, consider this. I hope you know this. Jesus is not physically present with us right now. If He were, it would not be by faith that we follow Him. And again, if you know anything about the history of God's people, sight is often a major hindrance to genuine belief. I mean, they saw the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and they're like, yeah, we should go back to Egypt. That's in us, too. So if Jesus were here present, it wouldn't be by faith anymore, it would be by sight, and that wouldn't be pleasing to God anymore. So He's not here physically present with us, so that it will still be by faith. But even though He's not with us, He guides us by His Spirit. And we can take great encouragement that the Lord ensures to place people in our lives who remind us of these things. In the same way that Peter was placed in the lives of all these believers in Asia Minor. These churches were scattered all over the place. And yet, here's Peter, here's his heart, by the Lord's work in him to be one of the ones that's part of God's grace, God's mercy, to keep it by faith, but also to stir us up for these things and to add these qualities to our faith. We see the care of the Lord Jesus. And reflected in Peter's care and concern for them, we see the heart of Christ towards us manifested very clearly. That's one of the main reasons we should be active and zealous in our love for one another. Because in our love for one another, we, we, we're a billboard to our brothers and sisters about the love of Christ Himself. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So Peter has told us that his intent is to remind them. They need a reminder. That, that could be weighty to consider, right? We forget, we forget often, we become lackadaisical or imbalanced. That can be a weighty reminder to consider. But he loops back around to a hopeful encouragement. You know them. And you are established in the truth that you have. While saying on the one hand, acknowledging at least implicitly, we're forgetful people. Yet, if you are in Christ, if you're a new creation, we know these things. The law of God, the law of Christ, the law of love is written on your hearts if you are born again. It's there. Even if you are being very forgetful of these qualities, as we all often are and as I am often, God is yet at work 
end, these things are there. You know them. And you are established in the truth. So a question, that's a bit confusing, is it not? How can you forget something that you know? How can you walk in functional ignorance of something that you know and are established in? I think we just need to realize, brothers and sisters, that that's the reality of the Christian life more often than not. There, are, there is work happening in us. Don't you understand this? There is work happening in us that is ultimately mysterious to us. This is part of the point of Jesus in John 3. You see the wind blow. You see its effects, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with those who are born of the Spirit. He's at work round the clock and often takes us through thresholds of growth that we weren't planning or seeing or anticipating. We can forget the things that we know. This can help us, though, believe the best about people even if they, in our estimation, are being very forgetful of these qualities, we can still believe the best about them. And I'm not the best at this. I tend to panic or freak out or think of worst case scenarios for people and myself. But Peter, on the one hand, has this idea, hey, uh, you need reminding of these things. And then on the other hand, at the same time, and I know you know them. So we can be hopeful. Perhaps what is lacking in their case is that they don't come out to fruition enough. But he knows that they know them. And that's an encouragement. This is similar to what John says in 1 John chapter 2. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So holding that apparent contradiction in our minds is is difficult. Very. But it is possible, and we need to follow Peter's example. You need to be reminded, and I know you know them. So take heart. A few applications or uses of this. He's teaching them about these qualities but then summarizes his lesson at the end, and I already know you know this. Very often, helping other people is simply reminding them of the things that they already know. Example is, especially when you're trying to help suffering people, people who are going through things that you probably never have or never will, or maybe you've been through something similar and they're going through something worse, And you can't imagine how difficult it must be for them. The best thing to do for them is not to tell them how to fix their circumstances or what God may be doing in them to sanctify them and purify them, but just to remind them of the things they already know. God is good. God is trustworthy. You can believe Him, even if you don't have answers. Even if you never do until Judgment Day, you can trust Him. And a Christian knows that intuitively from the heart because God wrote it there. And you can appeal to that deep down and be really helpful to people. He encourages them that they are, in fact, established in the truth. So as we speak to each other, we need to have that heart. Assuming the best about people and wanting better things to be true, not automatically assuming the worst or the first thing that we hear. Especially if we find ourselves to be the ones to make harsh judgments quickly. And I myself can fall so terribly short on that front. In this we see the tenderness and kindness of the Lord who Himself sees us at our worst. We read it in our New Testament reading this morning. He knew what was in man. And so He didn't entrust Himself to anybody. But He sees us at our worst and He asserts more hopeful things about us than sometimes we would even dare think about ourselves. Because 
he sees the end from the beginning. He does not despair about us, even if we would despair about ourselves. Because he sees his work in us down deep. He put it there, and it is lovely to him. Even if we have temporarily forgotten it, he yet delights in it. We are his younger siblings. He says, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. A few things that we see in this. Uh, three I will draw out, uh, hopefully clearly for you. Number one, we see that Peter considers this work of reminder morally right. It is morally right for him. Not only is it something that he gets to do by some privilege of uh, apostleship or something, he sees it in some sense as a moral obligation on his part. It is right for me to do this. Brothers and sisters, it is right and praiseworthy for you to put your brothers and sisters into remembrance of these qualities. It is good and right and praiseworthy for us to stir one another up to love and good works. It can often be a painful or awkward process, and there are many ways to do that wrong, as we'll see in a moment. But nonetheless, we should do this. It is right. The Lord Jesus then is kind to us, is He not? in creating some sense of moral obligation. He's commanded us to do this through His apostles and the other writings of the New Testament and in His own ministry to stir one another up to love and to good works, saying it in all sorts of different ways. But because it's difficult, because it's hard, because it can be awkward, if He didn't command us to do it, (laughs) I probably wouldn't do it. I would not be interested in the hard work it often is to stir one another up to love and to good works unless Jesus Christ had commanded me to do so. But here's how we see His kindness in that. That's where He is. That's what He's doing by His Spirit. And if we want sweet communion with the Lord Jesus and fellowship with Him, we need to go to where He is and join Him in His work. This is why it is so Understand when Jesus says to the disciples, it's not go and do this. Go go labor in the field. It's follow me. Like Come come to where I am. Join what I'm doing. Because the the point is nearness to Him. We talked about in the the sermon about the kingdom. The, The goal of the kingdom of God is nearness with God. And that starts now as we come alongside Christ, or He comes alongside us by His Spirit, that we would join in His very work. You want to get closer to Jesus, start doing the things that He does. That's how it works. The second thing we see from Peter's statement here is that he sees the work as temporary but lifelong. And that sounds like another contradiction. It's temporary. Look at it. Verse 13, I think it right. As long as I am in this body... So that's, that's lifelong, but it's temporary because he's indicating a, a, a cessation of the activity after he's no longer in this body. So it's temporary, but lifelong. And oh, Christian, setting everything aside this morning, everything else that I've given you or talked to you about, if we could just remember that whatever is lifelong is but temporary. We only have this little short while to do stuff like this. You don't get to stir others up to love and good works in heaven. You won't need to. You won't get to experience the comfort of God in your affliction in heaven because there won't be any affliction. You won't need to draw nearer to Christ through joining Him in His work 
because all nearness will be yours day one. And so while we're here, while this life endures, in the short, short days that we have, you've got a hundred more years or a hundred more seconds, it is a short, short time. And so while we've got it, this minuscule, infinitesimal blip of your existence, we get to stir one another up to love and good works. I'm a millennial, sadly, which means that the the acronym YOLO used to be a big deal. Uh, There are further generations past mine, and so this term has dropped out of favor. Uh, But it stands for, you only live once. And it was a moniker or or a banner over the justification for doing any such weird thing. Because you only live once. And yet, there is a kernel of truth in there, is there not? For the Christian. You see it in Peter's words here. As long as I am in this body, I'm only going to live once. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. That's it. And while we're here, we get to do these things. The the word he uses here, this, this, this body, is actually the word for tent. I love how the author of Hebrews just riffs on this idea of tent, showing that because the tabernacle was a tent, it proves that the first covenant was temporary and that there was something else more permanent to come. Because God's permanent... Reality that he's trying to produce among us isn't a tent. And so our body, by New Testament authors, Peter and Paul, is likened to a tent. It's not your permanent dwelling. But as long as you're in it, you only live once. Number three, Peter likens this work, this reminder, to being stirred up. Literally, it means something like being roused from sleep. I mentioned earlier uh, that we can, uh, we would that we would talk about different ways to stir up. There, there are multiple different ways to remind people and to put them in remembrance of these qualities. You can do it wrong. You can do it right. You can do it poorly. You can do it well. Whatever you would say. But I think this illustration, this analogy, gives us a perfect image to see how we can stir one another up, either poorly or well. We all need to do it. There are helpful and unhelpful ways of stirring others up by way of reminder. Let's just use this example, this analogy that the text uses of waking people up. Have you ever been awoken by someone bursting into the room quickly and loudly? That can cause panic attacks. And then someone brings you breakfast in bed. That's a great way to wake up. And then you can be woken up at 4 a.m. by birds in the summer here in Coeur d'Alene, sitting in fruit trees. It's not a personal story whatsoever. Rocks were thrown. Um, or dogs. Like there, there are so many different ways to rouse people. And some of them are really helpful and a lot of them aren't. We don't want to induce panic attacks to our brothers and sisters. This is what Solomon says in Proverbs 27.14, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. You can have the best words, the best of intentions. You say it early in the morning, that's not a blessing anymore, it's a curse. But understand that what's underneath this and beneath this is this idea, we know it from other scriptures, it's here present in this verse, that a Christian can become Asleep. The spiritual reality. A Christian can fall asleep and fall into slumber with respect to what's really real and Christ's kingdom and these qualities that we must add to our faith and our job towards them, even as their job is towards us, is to rouse them from sleep. Stir them up. And the way we do that in this text is reminding So, how can we model our lives 
after Peter and be involved in this work of stirring up. Or better, better, how do we get a mindset and heart like Peter's that led him to one, consider it morally right to do this, two, to see it as something to give his whole life to, and three, to graciously, lovingly, helpfully wake people up to real spiritual reality? Answer, we need to be rooted in the truth like Peter was. He had seen the Lord Jesus. Here's where I get that. This is just an implication, a logical implication from the text. He says, to stir you up by way of reminder. If you're going to remind someone of something, you need to know it yourself. And you need to be really rooted in it. So in order to have this effect, in order to help people awaken, you need to be grounded in it as well. Well, that's fine and good for Peter, you might say. Uh, He was an apostle, don't you understand, preacher? And he got to see the Lord Jesus. He got to walk on the water. He saw the resurrected Christ, for goodness sakes. It's easy for him to say, I'm going to remind you of these things. What about us? As I said earlier, the Lord Jesus isn't here physically. But I want you to see this. This is actually the next section. I think he's almost answering this question for us. Verse 16, We do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So so there it is. Yes, we, we saw Him. Not only did we see Him, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty, referring almost the exclusive opinion of what He's referring to is the Mount of Transfiguration. Only three disciples got to see that. Peter, James, and John. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice born to Him by the majestic glory, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And then He just shifts. And we, meaning all of us, have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, yes, of course, we got to see Him. We got to hear this voice. We saw His glory revealed. The curtain was pulled back and we were there. But you, we, have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Remember what I said earlier. Sight is often a hindrance to faith. While Jesus is resurrected, about to go back up into heaven, the text says in Matthew 28, and some doubted. They see Him. They saw Him die. And there He is alive. And they doubt. But the Spirit comes ten days later and they're filled with faith. Not because of sight. And so for us, 21st century Christians, how do we become like Peter with his zeal to stir one another up to these things, to put people in remembrance? We need a fresh sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need this fresh sight in order to have this zeal and desire to help others to reawaken to real spiritual reality and the importance of the real qualities of faith. And the wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus, or one of the wonderful things about the Lord Jesus, is that though He died, He lives. And He lives Not to be seen every day in crucifixes or our imaginations or the renderings of artists, but rather He lives in order to be seen by the eyes of our hearts in the Gospel itself. 
when we consider His work on the cross. This is the moment in the message where the Gospel comes in to wrap it together, at least at this point. You know when you consider those truths, what God was up to in the cross, who Jesus was by right of divinity and birth, the Son of Man, Son of David, Son of God, all together, and you consider the truth of what transpired there, that that the Lord God Himself poured out His wrath on His incarnated Son so that we might receive forgiveness. When you think about those things, you're not just rehearsing ideas in your mind. No, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, I'd love to go and exposit that whole text for us this morning, but alas for time. Paul's claim there and the, the claim of the whole New Testament is that Christ Himself is portrayed in the Gospel, when we consider the truths, when we consider, as in, in Peter's language here, when we consider how the promises of God were fulfilled in Christ, when you think about those things, again, you're not just remembering. You're not just rehearsing. You're not just running ideas through the washing machine of your mind. You see the Lord Jesus. Because His glory, His face, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is seen in the Gospel. You want to see Jesus? Consider all the promises of God that were fulfilled in Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is how we get this zeal that Peter had. It wasn't just because he saw Him. It's because he understood that the prophetic Word has been fulfilled and it's been made sure this is the One. And that fresh sight made him eager to remind everyone of these qualities. And he saw it as a moral conviction. Yes, I must remind my brothers and sisters, as long as I am in this body, I'm going to do this. So let's think about him. Consider his glory. Consider his love. Consider his love on display in the way we treat one another. The Lord Jesus is so kind and loving to reveal Himself to us day by day in His Word and to stir us up to engage with it and read it so that we may stir others up by way of reminder. And He says, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. You only live once and then it's gone. And for Peter... Unlike us, he knew the way that he was going to die. This is another motivation for Peter wanting to make every effort to remind people of these qualities because he knows that time is short. This is an allusion to the prophecy made by Jesus himself regarding the death of Peter. If you want to go there, let's just go ahead and turn there. It's a longer section. John chapter 21, verse 15. John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, yes, breakfast is biblical. It is a ministry of the Lord Jesus. Never forget that. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. So how did Peter know it was going to be soon? Was it another revelation made to him? Perhaps. Or what I think is more likely is this. He had probably already been arrested, just if you line up the dates, and he was old. And so he knew, well, Jesus said I would die via crucifixion. That's what's being referred to here. And this must be it, because if I get released, then the timelines don't pan out. This is probably it for me. This is a somber tone. And it is somber. It's a somber moment for the hearers. Like, imagine just receiving this letter. The great Apostle Peter is saying, hey, time's short. <laughs> it's about to be done, guys. Think of how that would have felt. But what encouragement there is for us in the attitude and hopes of the martyrs. Here he is, knowing that Jesus has ordained that he would die this way. Crucifixion. You understand. And that he would not only die this way, but this was God's purpose that he would glorify God this way. But he's not giving up on the Lord. And there's no hint of bitterness in his voice at all. Sure, he could have made a protest. It was evil and wrong for the wicked Romans to arrest him. Unjust. They're a wicked government. Shouldn't they be overthrown? Not saying anything like that. And even if Peter were a hardened criminal or murderer and deserved the death penalty, crucifixion is barbaric and wicked and inhumane. And he's not even complaining about that. Peter seems to have the most settled peace in his heart towards his assigned path. And the only sense of unrest or the only sense of urgency or angst that we might even ascribe to him at this point is concern for the believers. That they would be stirred up to be awakened to these spiritual realities. To know that through these qualities there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He sees it. And even though his death is impending, he says, I've got to remind you of these things. I don't have much time left. And who does that sound like? The Lord Jesus, does it not? You remember when Jesus was arrested, he made no protest. He just asked that the soldiers would let his disciples go. Even in his death, last hour's concern and love for his followers. And it also sounds like the qualities of faith. That Peter is steadfast. He has self-control. He has brotherly affection and love and it's coming to fruition in his pouring out of his heart towards these people even though he's about to die in a terrible, terrible way. Peter had a rough start in the faith, did he not? And there were for sure bumps along the way, and yet here he is at the end of his life, knowing his time is short, sounding a lot like a man who has been really conformed to the image of Christ. So a few applications or use of this. This is what the Lord Jesus will do for us, brothers and sisters. He will bring His work to completion in you. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. You may have a rough start like Peter. Yours might be worse than Peter, but if you are His, you will be conformed to the image of Christ. You are established in the truth. It will happen. We will for sure make it to the end. We can trust Him. He is trustworthy. And He never lets us down. He never will. 
We could look at the example of others, like maybe the apostles or the greats in Christian history, and be discouraged. Like we, we notice the disparity, <laughs> at least I do. We read of these great men and women, and then we see ourselves, and like that is discouraging. But the same Spirit, the same Christ, who took a proud, loudmouth, bombastic young man named Peter and turned him into this man that we see, is the same Spirit at work in you to both conform and ensure that you will be without blemish on the last day. Thankfully, our lives will not look like the Apostle Peter's, most likely. Praise the Lord. But we can still be used in the same way that Peter was to stir up other believers to these things, to help awaken them to spiritual reality, to Christ Himself, by way of reminder. Also, just consider, this is, a, this is under application or use, just consider Peter's confidence in the goodness, the power, the sovereignty, and the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Romans arrested him. Some wicked man sitting on a judgment seat condemned him to death. And random Roman soldiers would nail him upside down to a cross so tradition holds that he he wouldn't dare be crucified in the same way as his Lord, so he insisted on being crucified upside down. It was all wicked men gathered in that city, Rome, to do against the Lord's servant Peter whatever Jesus' plan had ordained to take place. And Peter is just confident. He trusts that his plan is good and right and true. All of time is in his hands. All the knowledge and rule over the future is his. We have nothing to fear because he holds the book. And He is the only one found in all of heaven worthy to break those seals and to bring to pass all that God has ordained. All our days are in His book, even when as yet we're none of them. Life is a vapor. Time is short and everything changes. But it is all in the loving and powerful hands of our Lord Jesus. And He can be your Lord today. If you do not know this One, He's not just the One who died on a cross at some point and was presumably raised to life. This is the Lord of all time. The agent to bring about all of God's will for all time and space. And you can yield to Him as Lord today. Repent and believe in Him. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time recall these things. Almost as if repeating himself, drawing himself to conclusion, he says again that he is committed with every ounce of zeal that he can summon to remind them of these things that even after He is long dead and gone, even after they have no access to Him personally, even after He is no longer able to write letters and minister to them, they're able to remember what He said. Remember these things. So so what what are these things, right? I mean, that's an important question to ask, that, that you may be able to recall these things. Likely He's referring to His whole letter, or at least verses 3 through 11, Um, He could just be referring to the seven qualities of faith. But I think it probably means something more like this. Or we could summarize it this way, we might say. He wants them to be able to recall God's plan, God's work in our lives through Christ, and the implications of that salvation for daily living. 
that's what this letter is kind of about, at least up to this point, and, and there will be implications of that as the letter goes on. That's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. We need to be able to put our brothers and sisters in remembrance of God's plan, put them in remembrance of God's work in our lives through Christ, and to put them in remembrance of the implications of that salvation for daily living. All of that together. After the Lord Jesus decides on the ending of Peter's course, his life, even though he knows his time is short, yet Peter's utmost desire is that those who have been under his ministry, or maybe just anyone indirectly impacted by this letter reaching them, which includes us, anyone impacted through his teaching, his preaching, and his writing would be able to recall these things. So, that's what Peter wants his legacy to be. What kind of legacy are we aiming for? Personally, as a church? He wants his legacy to be the people that I cared for, the people that I ministered to, are able to recall these things at any time. What legacy are we aiming for? Is it a legacy of wealth? Or is it helping the younger siblings, the younger brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus to be able to recall these things? Is it a legacy of influence? Is it a legacy of raising a good family? Building a good church? What's the legacy we're aiming for? Helping the younger brothers and sisters be able to remember these things. That's it. That's everything. So, O church, arise. May it be said of us that we made every effort so that we each together and for one another so lived and so served with great joy to stir one another up to love and good works for our good and the glory of our Lord Jesus. And until He comes, may it always be so. Let's pray. Father, You are good and merciful and kind to us. And we see all these things on display in the Lord Jesus and in those who seek to follow His example. We thank You for Peter. And that we, thousands of years later, have this letter of His zeal to stir us up by way of reminder. May we imitate Him. And may we remember these things so that we can put others in remembrance of them. May we fix our gaze on the Lord Jesus and how in Him the prophetic word is more fully confirmed so that we may be able to operate in strength, in clarity, and encouragement towards our brothers and sisters. It's in the name of our Lord we pray. Amen.